The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, hey, happy 4th. Thanks for uh, not shooting things up yet and blowing things up yet, uh, but, but we're uh, glad you're with us. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, would you please open it up to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, Matthew 12, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are hardback black Bibles under every single chair, and Matthew 12 is on page 817 in those Bibles. Uh, you can open a phone or a tablet, though I think glowing is bad for your face. Um, and if you're online with us, I'd love for you to just click that little Bible tab and you you can open up Matthew chapter 12 as, as well. Matthew 12 is where we're going to be all morning. Uh, today is one of those days where, um, where something that's happening in our church coincides perfectly with where we are at in the text. In Matthew 12, uh, you see Gary, Gary was just up. Gary, you were on fire, man. Dry humor every single moment. I was, uh, I, I had somebody said there was a Larry David thing going on there that I just appreciate, but Gary is starting uh, on Wednesday this six-week Fathom Academy uh, spiritual warfare class. uh, And today, in just our regular walkthrough of Matthew's gospel that we've been working on all year, um, today we come to a passage that's all about spiritual warfare. Now, uh, this was not planned. Like I was not some sort of mastermind, you know, working through some sort of strategy to just preach this message the the Sunday before the Wednesday class. It just happened this way. And and we're just going to trust that God is in that and that he's up to something. Uh, So we have been titling sermons uh, with kind of kitschy titles in in, in this series. And so today's sermon is called this. This is war. It's not really funny. It's it's true. This is War. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare today, and I am no expert on this topic, okay? So I'm just going to say a few things that I see in the text uh, on the, the, the topic we're going, to, we're going to talk about today. And, and, and if this kind of wets your whistle, if, you, if you're interested in this stuff, I would just implore you to sign up for this class. Six weeks on spiritual warfare, it will really help you if you want to dig deeper into this topic. Additionally, uh, just so you know, I spent my, my spring, I was listening to a sermon series by Matt Chandler on the book of Revelation, and that has very much influenced uh, me on some of these topics. So this is war. That's where we're going to be today. Let's jump into it. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 22. Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Now, to set up what's happening here, we have what what the ESV calls a demon-oppressed man, and Jesus heals him, okay? Uh, And the question that I often get, just to kind of start us off in this conversation, is this. Can can Christians be demon-possessed? Can can as Christians, as followers of Christ, what's our relationship to the demonic? And so uh, we we, want to start here because the ESV translates this word demon-oppressed. Demon-oppressed. And I think they do that intentionally um, because demon-possessed, which actually, if you have an NIV translation, you'll read that. Demon-possessed is kind of a tricky idea in the New Testament. It's kind of a tricky idea. The the Greek word here is diatsomai. It's the Greek word where we get this demon 
possession, demon oppression. I think the best probably way to translate it is demonized. This man is demonized. So, so to the question that I pose, uh, can a Christian be possessed by a demon? I, I don't think I would say the answer is, I don't, the answer is no. You cannot be possessed, but can a, can a Christian be afflicted by a demon? I, I would say yes. Can a Christian be demonized? I think so. Now we're going to talk at, uh, at length about this today, but, but, but that's what, where I just want to start. Can a Christian be possessed by a demon? No. You have the Holy Spirit that is in you and greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. But there's a lot of work that our enemy can still do to us. So we'll get into that. What does this look like? Well, here we go. Uh, this demon-oppressed man is, uh, the demons are cast out. And then look at verses 23 and 24. And all the people were amazed. And they said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So in this moment, the crowd, they see Jesus cast out this demon and they believe that God is behind it. They call him the son of David. That's a kingly, that's a, that's a royal term, but that's also a messianic term. They say, maybe this dude's the Messiah. Maybe God's behind this exorcism, but the Pharisees, they only see Satan in this moment. The people see God, but the Pharisees see Satan. They see, see the Pharisees, they can't deny that Jesus just cast out these demons. They just watched him do it. They can't deny what they've just witnessed, but they will not admit that God might be behind it. And so there's only one logical recourse in their mind. And it's this, he must be doing this through some sort of dark means. It must be black magic. It must be by the prince of demons that he casts out demons. Verse 25 Knowing their thoughts, that's terrifying. When Jesus knows your thoughts, something good is not about to happen, okay? Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Okay. So Jesus answers their thoughts that he is in league with Satan by saying, hey, if, if Satan is the one who is casting himself out, then his kingdom would be characterized by some sort of internal discord and, and essentially it would self-destruct in some sort of civil war. Like Satan, that's a house divided. That's a nation divided against itself. That's not how Satan works. So, so for me, I've, I feel like I've heard from the Lord on a few occasions in my life, very clear, direct callings. Okay, not like an audible voice per se, uh, but, but I, I feel like I've discerned in a few cases, real specific directions from God, from the spirit a few times in my life. I feel like God uh, spoke to me a really, really clear call into vocational pastoral ministry. I, I feel like God spoke to me uh, 15 years ago to, to uh, ask Mary, my, my Marcy, my, my wife now, Mary is my mother-in-law. <laughs> I did not ask her. 
to marry me. But, but I, I felt it was a clear call from the Lord for me to pursue my wife and ask her to marry me. I felt like God spoke to me to plant this church seven years ago. I feel like that was a clear call. And you might say, well, how, how do you know? Are you sure? Maybe, that, maybe those things aren't from God. Maybe those things are from the enemy. Maybe they're from Satan. And I just say, listen, of course it was God. Of course it was God. Commit my life to the church, marry the beautiful Christian girl, start a church, preach the Bible. Like if that was Satan, he got the wrong number. That's not how he works, right? Satan isn't in the business of furthering the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Now look, he goes on in verse 27. He says, if, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus real clearly does a little rhetorical work, but then he really clearly lays out the source of his ministry. He, he says that actually the power that he casts out demons by comes from the Holy Spirit. It's not demonic power, but it's divine presence that's led to his authoritative demonstrations. It's the spirit of God that empowers his exorcisms. And now as I'm studying the, the, this section of scripture this week, and I'm thinking 4th of July, you know, here we are, one service, what, what's, who's going to show up? It's a weird thing. I thought to myself, man, this is, this is a weird Sunday to be here. Like if you're a guest with us, and I see a number of guests, if you're a guest, especially, especially hear me, if you're new to Christianity or to church, maybe you're not even a follower of Christ and, and, and you show up today, this could be a weird day for you. Just, we can be honest, Beelzebul, right? The prince of demons, demon oppressed man and Satan. Like, like, do y'all really believe this stuff? Do you really believe? I mean, this sounds more like dungeons and dragons. It does. It sounds more like that than, than the Bible and church. So, so, so is Jesus actually saying that Satan is real? Like real, real, Right? Like, like, like a real devil with a tail and a horns and pitchfork. Like, is that what we're saying? Do we really believe this stuff? Well, uh, kind of. All right? We'll get into this. But, but before we jump exactly into what we do believe, uh, we, we are all products of what historians call the Enlightenment. Every single one of us, we are products of the enlightenment. We live in kind of like a post-enlightened age. And as, as enlightenment, post-enlightenment people, here's what we value. We value reason. We value rationality. We value logic and linear kind of mathematic thought. And, and one of the byproducts is that most of us, most enlightened people, we don't feel real comfortable talking about supernatural things. Right? Like angels and demons and cosmic spiritual warfare. That's stuff for the wackos on Facebook, right? Hey, for us. 
But C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest thinkers of the 20th century, wrote really important things about how to kind of handle and properly deal with supernatural ideas. And in his masterpiece, The Screwtape Letters, uh, which is a fictional account of, of one demon kind of writing to a younger demon in training in the letters and correspondence, this is what Lewis writes in the introduction to that book. I'll put it up on the screen. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So so C.S. Lewis is pointing out that one error when it comes to the demonic is to think that, that everything is about the devil, that he's behind every bush and that he's behind every corner and that the devil is, is, is ripe and almost over considering this. So you get a flat tire on the way to work and it's, it's not because you ran over a nail, but it's because the devil's trying to get you, right? Some people think there's a demon behind every bad hairdo. And listen, some of y'all just have bad hair. <laughs> Someone once told me that he thought that the devil was thwarting his plans because he ran out of gas, like while he was driving somewhere. I thought, nah, man, like God gave you the gas gauge. It's common grace, my friend, to show you to fill it up before it hits E. Like I've run out of gas a few times. I've told you about them in sermons. And listen, it's not because Satan was out to get me. It's because I was a dummy. So we don't want to blame everything on the demonic. Okay, that's one error. But then there's this other error that, that a lot of us fall into, which is to pretend that it doesn't exist. Pretend that the spiritual warfare and and the, the, the enemy and demons and angels and to ignore it altogether. Because what we want to do is we want to make any issue at all medical or chemical or emotional or psychological. And yes and amen to all of those things. But there's no longer any consideration given to the supernatural, to the, the, the demonic. So I want to make my first point this morning about the war that we are in, okay? In this war, Satan is real. I may not have to convince you of that, but there might be some correction that's needed here. In this war that we are in, Satan is real. You see this from these verses that Jesus definitely believed that Satan and demons were real. So if you believe Jesus, Jesus believed in these things. And and in fact, Jesus seems to spend a whole heap of his ministry engaging with the devil and demonic forces. Okay, Satan, the devil, demons, uh, that kind of stuff is mentioned uh, approximately 250 separate times in the New Testament. These, these supernatural kind of freak us out stuff, it's all over our Bible. Now, if you're newer to this stuff, while we don't believe all the characterizations of kind of like a red guy with like a pointy tail and a pitchfork, we most definitely do believe that we have a real enemy that there is a real enemy who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And all that the Lord would have uh, positive for us and want for us in our lives and in our ministries, he is out to thwart that. So, so this, this demon, devil, Satan stuff, let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. Back to the demon oppression, demon possession thing, okay? Listen, if you are in Christ, you can never be fully, completely taken over by the devil, by a demon. You cannot be possessed, maybe. Because if you're, like I said, if you're a Christian, your soul already belongs to Jesus. 
You are saved and sealed in the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. But, but here's what I want to caveat. We talked about de- being demonized, maybe being demon afflicted. Here's what I'll say. The parts of you that have not been brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ can be demonized. Now, how's this going to look? If you're a Christian, how is it going to look? Because you're going to say something like, well, why, why isn't the enemy more obvious? Why is he more out there? Demons seem a lot more visible in the Bible, but I don't see them around me anymore. Like, what, this, what does this look like? Well, well uh, Pastor J.D. Greer puts it like this. Satan isn't after your recognition. He's after your destruction. He don't care if you recognize him. He's just out to take you down. He's happy if he can destroy you, even if you don't know it's him who's doing it. And he's really smart. I mean, that's the thing I'm learning. Our enemy is really, really smart. He's been doing this way longer than we've been at this. All right? So, so Satan's main objective, his main objective is capturing the loyalties of men and women and diverting them away from the worship of God. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to capture you and put you onto something that's not him. That's what he's all about. But then I think we really believe that the demonic is going to be something that we see in horror movies. And that's why this is all weird for us because we, we expect like our heads spinning and you've got like green foam coming out of your mouth and you're floating three feet above your bed. And that's how we believe the demonic is going to show up. And I'm just saying, listen, Satan is smarter than that. You walk in and you see somebody hovering above their bed. You're not like snuggle up next to that gal, right? You're like, no, no, I've seen that movie. I'm running the opposite way. Satan doesn't need to play that game. He doesn't need to do these spectacular things because he's not trying to get you to believe in that. He just wants you to worship something other than Jesus. And he's one. It's, he is so tricky. He's so subversive. He don't even need to possess you. Christian in here, he doesn't even need to possess you. He just needs to afflict you in real subtle ways, but evil ways. And it won't even feel like he's getting at you. It won't even feel like it. I, I first heard this illustration uh, from, from another pastor down in Florida, Joby Martin. Uh, and he talks about how you deal with wolves in Alaska. So I thought I'd use it, okay? Apparently wolves in Alaska are a big deal. They're really bad for Alaskans because they attack and kill their livestock. Great thing we passed that law last year to reintroduce the wolves to Colorado so we can deal with this, right? I know I'm not supposed to get political from the pulpit, but come on now. Wolves, you serious? All right, but, but I, guess, I guess the way that wolves... Um, are dealt with in Alaska is they don't shoot them. They don't like hunt them down per se. Rather, the Alaskans will get a really, really sharp knife, like a really sharp blade, razor sharp. And then what they'll do is they'll get a bucket of seal's blood and they'll take their knife and they'll dip it into the seal's blood. And, and then in the cold, that, that blood will freeze and then they'll dip it again and that will freeze and then they'll dip it Again, and continue to do this until there's this coating, like a, like a blood popsicle around this knife. And then what, they, what, I, what I understand is they, they bury that knife hilt deep in the dirt, in the snow, 
until all that is seen from above the ground is this tasty little blood sickle thing. And then the wolf comes. And the wolf comes and he sees this thing and he, and he thinks, oh, oh man, free blood? Free blood sickle? Like, I'm in. You bet I'm all over that thing, right? And so the, the wolf comes and he starts licking that, that frozen blood. And, and what happens as they lick is that it, it numbs their tongue. It numbs the inside of their mouth, but they just keep going and they keep licking because it's, it's delicious to them. And soon their numb tongue reaches through that blood to the razor of the knife, but they can't feel it. And so they keep licking and they keep licking and they are licking. And all of a sudden there's fresh blood, but they don't know where it's coming from, but it's blood. And so they are trying to take it and it's no longer that seal's blood. It's their own blood as their tongue is shredded in their mouth. And listen, they will bleed. It's gross. Stay with me. It's important. (laughs) Happy fourth. (laughs) Who's barbecuing later? And they will bleed to death as they're trying to swallow more and more and more of their own blood, all the while unaware of what's going on. It's graphic, but that's how our enemy works. Listen to me. It's going to sound right. It's going to feel right. It's going to promise you something awesome but it's meant to get you to love something other than Jesus and that thing will ultimately take you out. This is how our enemy works. He works through our devices. And I am not anti-technology, but he does. He works through our devices, beckoning us to try and satisfy our sexual cravings with pornography only to enslave us to worship our sexual addictions. You don't think that the enemy is an apple? He is. He works through our jobs, promising that if we give more and more of ourselves to this occupation, you can find life to the full, but you end up becoming worshipers of your accomplishments and of your careers. He works through getting us into debt. Oh, this one's so insidious promising you that more stuff will finally satisfy your life's cravings only to enslave us. Not just financially, but you become a worshiper of stuff, of things. He can even work through our kids. God bless them, right? By either being under-involved and just kind of parenting on autopilot. We call it free-range parenting. Just let them roll, right? Good luck, bro, right? or by heaping uh, unrealistic expectations upon them and living vicariously through them, teaching them that, that, that we are, or God help us, that they are more important than God. Listen to me, being afflicted by Satan isn't gonna look like it does in the movies. He doesn't need to do that. He's already afflicting us. He's already probably afflicting you in areas of your life that you have yet to submit to the Lordship of Christ. If you're not being serious about pursuing holiness, if you're not serious about putting sin to death in your life, if you're not being serious about the kingdom of God, then that is Satan at work in your life. 
So yes, we really do have a real enemy, a real Satan, real demons. But you just need to know that they work in really, really insidious ways. And this is what Jesus is saying. Pharisees are accusing Jesus of casting out demons by Satan. And he's like, are you serious? That's not how the enemy works. No, it's not Jesus who's using Satan. It's rather Satan who's using the Pharisees. So this leads me to the next verse. Okay, look at verse, uh, verses 29 and 30. He goes on, Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Okay, the strong man thing. This is an enormous, this is an enormous verse. Okay, it's enormously misunderstood and it's enormously important. So let's talk about the strong man real quick. First of all, the strong man, like Jesus is saying that the strong man is Satan. I've heard other people say that the strong man is something else. It's not. The strong man is the enemy. It's Satan. And, And Jesus is saying that Satan has been bound, that he's been tied up. Like every time Jesus exercises a demon, it's an image that Satan's rule and reign is limited. He has been bound and he is under assault and he is in the process of being taken down. Like the war, this is war, this war that we're in, it's not a war where we have to wonder who's going to win. Like, I wonder who might win. It's not like, well, maybe God will win on one side, but then again, maybe Satan is going to muster up some troops we don't know about, and he's going to be victorious. That's not what's happening here at all. The enemy has been defeated. The kingdom of God has come, and it's only a matter of time before the king will return and the final battle will be over. But in the meantime, in the meantime, Satan has been bound and now we are able to plunder. His followers are able to plunder. Now, how do we do this? What does this look like? How do you resist the devil? How do you plunder the enemy? How do you take advantage of the fact that Satan has been bound, that he is on a leash, as it were? I just want to say, it's, it's not in the ways that you probably think. Okay, I've heard teachings on this where there's real explicit instructions like really clear uh, instructions on how to bind spirits and how to cast out demons, right? Like to cast them out, you've got to, I've heard stuff like this. You have to directly address them and ask the spirit their name and ask them their territory and their domain and like what sort of area do they have. And once you have their name, then you have mastery over them and then you bind them in the name of Jesus and then you command them never to return. As if there's some sort of demonizing, kind of casting out demon, you know, order. You just follow the steps and it's, that easy. And I've heard these teachings. And again, I think to me, they conjure up these kind of images of pop culture again. Like that's what they're doing. It's like some priest walking in with some sort of holy water, some chicks crawling on the ceiling, right? Our eyes are all rolled up in the back of his head and he like pulls out his super soaker with holy water and knocks her out. That's not how it works. And listen, maybe not entirely. Like maybe there's something there. I'm not going to totally discount that, but I'm just not sure that this is the way that most of us are called to resist Satan. I'm just not sure, okay? See, see when the Bible gives us instructions on, on engaging in spiritual warfare, it's most often not some weird supernatural thing that it's teaching us about. Like if you read Ephesians 6 and the, 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 the um, armor of, this, uh, uh, of the spirit, Goodness, I should have written this down. 
Apparently I'm a really bad pastor. Ephesians 6, the full armor of God. There you go. It's not like, hey, put on this breastplate so you can go chest bump the demons down, like break their necks. It's like, hey, be in the word. Be in prayer. Be filled with the spirit. Be engaged in the gospel. See, you want to know how to plunder the enemy? Here's how I'll tell you. You should embark in a serious pursuit of your holiness. You want to plunder the enemy? You start hating your sin and loving and pursuing righteousness. It's hating our sin. It's hating your sin to the point that you would take any drastic step necessary to put it to death. Goodness, so many of us are dealing with secret indwelling sin. Even if you're a Christian, You've got some corner of your life that's secret and hidden. And, 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 and listen, many of us have been hiding in plain sight in churches for decades, just hiding stuff. That, 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 that addiction, you, you like to pretend you've got handled. That affair that happened on a work trip 15, 20 years ago that you just hope to take to your grave rather than confess it. It's ancient history, but, but it's there. You're so crippled by the shame of something from your past. And you just think, if I come clean with this, what will my spouse think? If I come clean with this, what will my kids think? If I come clean with this, what would my parents think? And I'm just saying, like, if that's you, if you've got something like that, you'll never plunder the strong man. Because he's already got you because he's already got you bound. He's got you right where he wants you to be. He doesn't need to possess you. I keep saying this. He doesn't need to possess you because he's already got you chained up, unable to do anything. You'll never get in this war unless you're willing to seriously pursue holiness. Listen, you gotta confess and repent. You have to. Got to drag that sin into the light. It's the only way to break those chains. It's the only way he can lose his grip on you. And listen, I know it's risky. Confession and repentance is always risky because you start confessing your sin. Yeah, there, there is no way you can control what kind of collateral stuff comes out after that. There's no way to control that collateral damage. You might have some real heavy work to do with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, maybe counseling, maybe therapy, maybe years of that. But right now you're a slave. You're in bondage. And dare I say it, you might have been demonized. I can't tell you the weight that lifted in my heart almost three years ago when it comes out that I'm plagiarizing portions of my sermons. If you were new with us, you didn't know that maybe, but I can't tell you the weight that it lifted. Now, now hear me. It made for some of the worst months of my life. The worst. But I was free. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Look at verse 30. Whoever's not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
See, what Jesus just said is actually, I'm, let me make my second point, okay? In this war against Satan, you aren't neutral. You aren't neutral. There are no Switzerlands in this thing. You follow me? You are not a neutral party. It's not like one side is the Jesus followers and we're team Jesus and the other side is the Satanists and that's team Satan. And then there's this like big middle gap of just people. Just kind of, yeah, we're just neutral. But to be nominal is to be in league with the enemy. You're like, nah, man, I, listen, I don't worship the devil. And, and hear me, I get that. But, but, but that's because you think that that involves pentagrams and sacrificing virgins and listening to Swedish death metal. And that could not be further from the truth. Though I think you should stay away from sacrificing humans, okay? Listen, this is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you are indifferent to the King of Kings, to the Son of Man, to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, then you are against him. You're in league with the enemy. This is what Jesus is saying. You're not neutral in this war. And then here's what he finally gets to, uh, what's known as the unforgivable sin, the unpardonable sin. Let's look at this real quick, verses 31 and 32. He says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now, we've got a lot of stuff we could talk about with the unforgivable, the unpardonable sin. I don't have time to get into that, and there's a lot of debate, okay? Just a lot, okay? Uh, but the un, here, here's what I'll say. The unforgivable sin is not murder. It's not suicide. It's not genocide. It's not rape. It's not any, whatever the most heinous sin you think you can commit, that ain't it. The unforgivable sin isn't, by the way, some sort of technicality sin. I don't know, this, like, when I was a youth pastor, there were like kids who were like, I'm afraid. I may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I said something bad about the Spirit. It's like, okay, wait, like a technicality sin? This isn't a technicality sin. Like if, if you say something mean about God the Father or God the Son, you're okay, but don't say anything bad about the Spirit. Like he's gonna get you in some technicality. That's not what this is either. Don't mess around with the Spirit, man. It's not what this is. It's not something bizarre and strange like that. Here's what I think about uh, the unfor unforgivable sin. There's a lot to get into this, uh, but, but this is from, from uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. He says, it, it's an outright rejection of God's work through the spirit. It's an extreme hardness of heart and lack of repentance when the spirit has made clear to you the way of truth. Now you may say, well, then I'm in no danger of committing the unpardonable sin. But hear me, all over the scriptures, there are people described as part of the church, part of God's people, who for all intents and purposes seem to be Christians. I mean, Jesus even talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount back in Matthew 7. I'll put it on the screen. Uh, you might know this. On that day, many will say to me, many, by the way, many will say to me, not a few, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast demons out in your name? And do mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen, you aren't neutral. See, there are people who are in churches all over the world today, like even probably here in this room today, and we've been a part of these Jesus things, but they don't really believe them. They haven't changed. And what Jesus is saying essentially, I think is this. Look, if, if you've seen the glory of Jesus and you've been convinced of the truth of the resurrection and the return, uh, 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 only to return intentionally to your sin. If you've believed these things are true and you have intentionally returned to your sin, obstinate, uncaring as to what the spirit of God would do, is there anything else left for you? Like if the Holy Spirit didn't convince you, what is there left to convince you? If after hearing the gospel, only more thorns of rebellion are are produced in your heart, the question is what else can be done? See, he's saying that, that, don't don't miss this. He's saying that every single sin committed can be forgiven. Every sin can be forgiven, but... If you don't respond to the Holy Spirit, then no sin can be forgiven. It's all or nothing. And it makes sense to me if you walk away from Christianity because you don't believe it. Like that makes complete sense to me. But what doesn't make sense is if you do believe it, but you just kind of have an apathetic response to it. Like if you really do believe, but, but just to affect you just a little bit and for you to casually kind of be a Christian. Like sometimes we'll say that people are nominal Christians as in like, yes, they believe, but it's just kind of, it's not just that big of a deal to them. But this is why I've been saying all through this Matthew series, like we got to go all in with Jesus. The cost of following Jesus is everything. The cost of discipleship is everything. You are not neutral. Now, let me end with this. Man, what a fun day. You guys having fun yet? It's hot. Not for you, but I'm sweating. Um, Let me end with this. This is my final point this morning, okay? In this war, you must choose a side. Satan is real. You are not neutral. Therefore, you must choose a side. Please get this. Jesus isn't saying any of these things because he hates the Pharisees. He doesn't hate the Pharisees. He loves the Pharisees. He loves them and he wants to save them. And that's what he's doing today for us as well. Jesus is trying to save us. Satan is real. And whoa. Hey, sign up for Gary's class. <laughs> and it starts on Wednesday. Fathomchurch.org slash academy. Yeah. That was planned? Yeah. No, it was not. Okay, back in here. Here we go. Right here. Y'all, Satan is real. That wasn't him, okay? That was teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> It was whisper. It was a kid's ministry. That's right. (laughs) He's real. He is after us. If you're a non-Christian, if if you're not a Christian in here, okay, he's after you. 
If you're a Christian in here, you're a Christ follower. Hear me, he's after you. 1 Peter 5.8 says that, that this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. First thing I want to note about that, the Bible just called Satan a lion, a lion, which is uh, in the cat family. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is why I own dogs, okay? All right. But he's on the hunt. He's on the prowl. And man, like, I actually wish that he was a real lion. I actually wish that he was a real lion because, gosh, that would make things so much simpler. Right? Like, listen, most of us in this room aren't dumb. Most of us aren't dumb people. Like, I'll give a little bit of room for outliers, all right? But most of us are pretty intelligent human beings, okay? But remember, our enemy's really good. He's really, really good. And so here's the truth. You're never going to come across some demonic compulsion that sounds like this. You're never going to hear the, the, the enemy talk to you like this. He's never going to say, man, I just love to completely destroy your marriage. I would love to give you depression and anxiety like you've never felt before. I'd love to leave you addicted to all kinds of perverse stuff that you just can't get out from under. You want to join this? You want some of this? You're never going to hear the demons work that way because I'm guessing none of us are going... That's exactly what I've been looking for all my life. Sign me up for that. He's so much smarter than that. So again, like it'd be so great if he would come at us like a lion, like maybe we would recognize this, but I heard an illustration that compares Satan not to a lion, but to a tick. Remember, demonized, okay? Demon afflicted. So, so picture a tick on a dog, can a tick possess that dog? No, certainly not, not a chance. But can that tick, if left unaddressed, get so big that the dog can get sick and then weak and ultimately die? Well, we live in Colorado, we don't have them, but if you've been to the South, you know those things ain't no jokes. Absolutely, this is our enemy. The nature of sin in your life, in my life, is that if it is undealt with, if that sin is not repented of, then the nature of that sin is to take root and to grow and grow and grow and eventually destroy us. Most of us, though, we just don't even know that we have a tick. We either don't know or we just think it's so small and hidden from sight that it's not a problem. And I'm telling you, it's a huge problem. And every day it's left unaddressed, it gets worse. This is war. You have to choose a side. Now, like I said in my intro, maybe uh, you're new to this Christian stuff. Maybe you're not a believer and you came here with a friend today and you're regretting it. Um, and I'm just doing something weird like this, but, but listen, maybe you've been here for a while. Like maybe you're, you, you've been in church for a long time but maybe what's happening today is just for the first time by the grace of God, like by the grace of God, not by my preaching, by the grace of God, you're realizing what's actually going on. There is a war. You see the enemy. You see the scheme that he might even have wrapped in your life and you want out. So here's the offer. Christ has come to save sinners. Jesus Christ has come to plunder the strong man.
You don't do it, he does it. He came to transfer you out of the domain of darkness. He came to wash you, to clean you, to save you. Hear me, no one in here has committed the unpardonable sin yet. If you're worried you have, you haven't. Listen, if you're hearing this and and you've got any desire to get out, you can. You've not gone too far. Maybe you're a Christian already, but you've got some areas you need to repent of. You've got some ticks that you need to get out of your life. Pornography, workaholism, jealousy, secret sin. Listen, today is the day to confess and repent that stuff. To get it out. Talk to the person that you came with. Come talk to me after we're done. Don't leave here until you've talked about it, until you've confessed it, until you've repented of it, until you've shed some light on it. You doing that gets you in this war. You doing that plunders the enemy. You want him to be worried about you? You confess and you repent. Choose a side. This is the first step to plunder the enemy. This is war. Man, I went long. Let's pray. Happy fourth. Lord, we bless you today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us, for us sinners, for us who identify more closely with the Pharisees than we want to admit. Lord, this is a war that we're in. And so we ask you, Father, we ask you, please give us eyes to see the schemes of the enemy. Holy Spirit, convict and reveal the ticks in our lives, the areas in our lives where we are, we're bound up already. And through the power of confession and repentance, Lord, today would you set some free. Call to yourself men and women, students today, maybe some for the first time, maybe some that just need to do some some work, cleaning up some stuff, putting some sin to death, pursuing holiness. Father, help us in this endeavor, we pray, in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit.